The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. that we've entitled Anatomy of the Church, and uh, we're looking at uh, what Scripture says about the church, uh, some of the structure, some of its workings, and uh, I, I shared this a couple weeks ago. I said, I could have a nameplate made up, and uh, I could put it on my office door, and that nameplate uh, could have my name on it, Robert Perry, right? And underneath it, instead of saying pastor, I could have it say Queen of England, that doesn't make me the Queen of England, though, does it? You know what I mean? And so just because the title is in the name doesn't mean that it's true. And my friends, I'm just saying this morning that just because an institution has church in the name doesn't mean that it's functioning in the way that God intended for it to function. It's not accomplishing everything that God intended for it to accomplish. And so... My goal in the series of messages about the church is not so we can point our fingers and say, look how better we are than every other church in the area. It has nothing to do with any other church. It has everything to do with our church and making sure that our church matches up with what God's Word says that a church ought to do and ought to be and how it ought to operate. Now, in our studies... We've uh, first started with, like, with the question, what is the church? And we discussed the fact that the word, uh, that the, ch- or the, the word church in the New Testament is from a Greek word, ekklesia. Ekklesia means a called out assembly. And so uh, it's a group of people that assemble together for a particular purpose. They've been called out for a particular purpose. As believers, we have assembled together today, one, to worship our Lord, uh, two, also to be equipped to be able to accomplish His work and will as we go out through the rest of this week as also. And so that's part of what the church is. We discussed some concepts of the local church. We discussed the character of the local church as well in studies. We looked at some different terminologies like the pillar and ground of truth and the body of Christ. We also looked at the commencement of the church, like the beginnings of it, and we realized that this thing started with Jesus Christ, right? It's not something that man made up. You know, there's a lot of things that man has made up, and they're good things, and they accomplish great things. There's organizations and and charities that man has created, and I'm thankful for it, and they accomplish great things. But the church is not one of those, my friends. The church is a God-established institution, and Jesus Christ, when He called His disciples, and He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, He said, it's upon this rock Himself, Jesus Christ. That, they, that he would build his church. And so he's the author of it. He is the one who is author, has the authority over it as well. And then we started to look at some of the offices of the church. And in particular, the Bible tells us that there are two, two offices uh, that are within the church as far as kind of leadership roles and uh, service roles. One, that of the pastor and the other is that of the deacon. And so we start with that of the pastor. And so the last several weeks, I know last week we were out underneath the tent, and I know some of you are returning guests. I'm thankful for the fact that you came back for a regular, not-so-windy service, right? And, uh, but uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. And let me just say this as well. If you are, maybe this is your very first time here. We hope that you've already received a warm welcome and even one of those guest connection cards. I hope that you fill it out and uh, exchange it at the welcome desk for a gift after the service, just our way of saying thank you for being here today. 
today. Uh, but uh, as we started discussing the roles, we started with that, the role of the pastor. We started with some qualifications out of 1 Timothy 3, right? And uh, what the Lord said that uh, He expects of someone who would hold the office of a pastor. And uh, through all those, we've also discussed some of the, uh, the, the roles He plays, the pastor plays, and uh, in particular two weeks ago about leading and preaching the leading the church and preaching the word of God as well. We discussed that. And in, and in, and in those two messages, we even slightly, slightly, we, we discussed some of the other functions that a pastor ought to do, like uh, uh, prayer and things like that. So I was going to leave it at that. Move away from my role as pastor to the other uh, office and that of the deacon so that... Uh, we could pick on somebody else instead of me in these services, right? Because every time I preach about what the Bible says about the pastor and such, then, man, I've got to really act like it, right? You know? And then you as good church members are going to keep me accountable to that. And so it's time to move on from someone, from preaching about my, my role and to somebody else's. I can get on Brother Matchett and Brother Tyus's case now and everything, right? Well, I, I, I actually did. I, I, I prepared another message to move in talking about the qualifications of a deacon, um, but uh, the Lord uh, just continued to work on my heart this week about not moving away from one other vital role that the pastor plays uh, within the church. And uh, so as much as I wanted to move away from the role of the pastor and talk about deacons and uh, get on their case, uh, I said, no, I got to be obedient to what the Lord, I think, wants me to do. And uh, so here in James chapter 5 this morning... Before we get in there, I want to remind you that we've in our studies already said that the Bible uses three different terms for the, for the office of a pastor. One is that word pastor, which what many of us would always normally use. It just simply means like a shepherd, one that guides and cares for. The other word is the word bishop, which we looked at in 1 Timothy 3, where it says, if a man desired the office of a bishop, he desired the good work. And so we looked at that. There's another word that we discussed uh, briefly, and that is the word elder. And that word elder has the same meaning as a, as a pastor, just a different function of the pastor's uh, position. That's a word we find in our text here this morning, all right? And so look at with me verse uh, 13 of James chapter 5. Of course, James in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament there, James chapter 5 and verse number 13. The Bible says this, "'Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray.'" Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." Verse 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the, heavens, the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. This morning, I want to talk about this role uh, that the pastor plays in the church of, uh, in prayer. Now, understand this morning also that as we go through this, that prayer is not just reserved only for the pastor. I'm thankful this morning that uh, you, don't, uh, you don't absolutely need me to go before the Lord. You can, you, can, you can bow your head. You can call upon the name of the Lord at any moment, and He hears you. 
Bible tells us as believers that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And I thank God for that, and I hope that you thank God for that as well. But in particular, there's a function of the role of the pastor when it comes to prayer that we see specifically here today. I pray that it will enlighten our hearts as we study that, and it will, this message will just simply encourage all of us in our prayer life as well to have a proper communication with our Lord. So let's pray and ask for His blessings before we begin. Our Father, we thank You for this morning and Your goodness and Your love. I do ask, God, that you would just help me as I deliver this message here this morning, that, that you would speak through me and that the message about how important it is to, to communicate with you through prayer would be understood and that it would be uh, heeded and uh, that we would not only uh, find it maybe interesting here this morning at this moment, but we would carry it with us as we leave today. And as we begin our day tomorrow and every day after that, Lord, that we would remember the importance of communication with you through prayer. And God, I ask now that you would speak to hearts in the only ways that you can, that your Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth, so that we might honor and glorify you through everything that is done here today. And God, if there happens to be anyone here, I know there's guests and people I don't know yet. If there is anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior today, would you just Speak to their hearts as they see how good of a God you are to be willing to hear our prayers. The God of everything, the God who owns everything, the God who created everything, willing to communicate with His creation. And God, as if there's one here that doesn't know you, as they see your goodness, that it would uh, bring them to repentance. And Lord, I ask now that you would work your will and your way in all the ways that you can. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our studies here on Sunday mornings through the anatomy of the church, specifically kind of closing up the role of the pastor in this portion of our studies, it brings us here to the end of James chapter 5, uh, almost to the very end of the chapter anyways. And as I re reread this chapter here in this portion of Scripture this week, couldn't help but be reminded that James, as he is writing, he's relating to people, right? Just like we are people today. And he's relating to people in his day who had troubles. They had problems. In particular here, uh, there was afflictions, there was sicknesses, uh, there, was, there was issues that they were facing as they went along. And I'm reminded that just as James and the people in his day had afflictions and problems and sicknesses and such, we are people today that have problems and sicknesses and afflictions as well, right? Now, no doubt, when we think of James, the day that James lived in and the people that he's writing to, uh, no doubt there was probably things that they faced then that we'll never face. Ladies, let me tell you something. I think I, I said in the, in the Sunday school, the Bible study hour, I mentioned about the woman at the well, right? The women in those days, they would gather their water pots. They would travel through town to the well that was there. They would pull up the water from the well, fill their pots, and they'd have to carry those, those suckers all the way home, right? Thankfully for you ladies, that's not a job or a task you have to worry about anymore, right? You get to turn the faucet on, and there comes water. Now, somebody j drilled out that well, and there's a pump and all that. I understand that, but modern conveniences have changed the way we live in cer certain ways. There was a time Maybe, man, there might be somebody here that still chooses to do it this way. I don't know. Uh, but there was a time where you'd have to take your, your laundry down to the nearest creek. 
put it in the water down there, rub it against some rocks or something, right? Try to get that, uh, use that to agitate it to get it clean. Now you just throw it in a washing machine. Maybe if you have one, maybe you take it down to the laundromat. I don't know, but it's a lot easier than having to tote it all the way to the dirty creek somewhere. And th- there's really none around here, is there? <laughs> San Pedro? I don't know if you're going to get much clean over there, all right? But nevertheless, things have changed. Now, some of you, you might still have to do it this way. You know, you got dishes in the sink and you have to take a rag or a sponge and run the water and and wash them by hand. Many of us have wonderful, wonderful dishwashers called children. Uh, And then some even have greater things than that, this little machine that's built into your cabinetry called a dishwasher. And uh, so you just put them in there and you press a button, it adds some soap and it washes it for you. You just got to put it away when they're dry. Things have changed throughout the years is what I'm saying, right? So a lot of the things that they were experiencing in James is they aren't necessarily the same things we're facing today, but I do understand this. People are always people, and problems are always problems, and afflictions are always afflictions, and sickness is always sickness. And James is discussing this with these people here today in in this letter here, and uh, what he's saying is this. He's saying that before we do anything... Before we react in any way, as a Christian, as a believer, our first step ought to always be to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, we'll delve that out in a little bit in just a moment, moment, but since we're talking about prayer, I'm thankful this morning that we have the opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer, and that we don't just call it out idly, but He actually hears us as well. It, it, it's, the prayer is the means by which we make our requests and bring our supplications before God. And I tell you this morning this, my friend, there is power in prayer. There is power in it. When we're forced to deal with situations that we cannot handle, we can go to God and be assured that He's got our back and that He hears us. Our text today, as we read in James 5, honestly has brought comfort to many a people's hearts throughout the years as they face trials and sicknesses and troubles. And I pray that it will do much the same today as well as we consider the pastor's role in prayer and then you as the Christian's role in that prayer as well. So let's jump right into things here this morning and look at uh, verses 13 through 15 once more. And notice with me, number one, the instruction in prayer. The instruction in prayer. Verse uh, 13 says, "Is "'Is any among you afflicted?' let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So here James begins by offering instructions to his readers about the concept of prayer here. And I want you to notice first with me, uh, prayers in affliction here in verse number 13. He says, is any among you afflicted? Question mark, right? And then he says this, let him pray. So it's kind of like a rhetorical question. And if the answer is, yes, there are afflictions, then the response to those afflictions, what James is saying is that that individual ought to pray. Now, we'll get to the part that I play as pastor in praying in just a moment. But I don't think it's by any coincidence or by any... Any, uh, uh, I mean, like, it just so happened to be this way that James said this first. I'm saying that if you're not willing to pray for yourself, don't go jump and ask other people to pray for you. 
Like, you've you got to have faith that you can communicate with God. And I, I, listen, I, I'm telling you, my friends, that's what, I, I, again, I, wanna, I, I hope you understand this. You don't need someone to go to God on your behalf. You have the opportunity to pray and speak to Him. We, as believers, the Bible is clear in Hebrews, can come boldly before the throne of grace. Now, we read here that other brothers and sisters in Christ will come alongside and pray with you. The pastor or elder will come alongside of you and pray with you. But first, he says, if there's anyone that is afflicted, the answer to the response is, let him pray. Now, this word affliction here, it has the idea here of suffering evil blows from the outside world, okay? So how many of you have ever done something, you made a decision, you did something that you kind of regretted and you had to live with the consequences? You don't have to raise your hands, all right? <laughs> but you, you kind of brought the affliction on yourself. I think we've all been there, right? That's not necessarily what this, the, this is talking about here. It's talking about evil blows from the outside world. So things that are coming that you don't control, all right? Things that you don't have a, a hand in. Uh, for instance, it might be something like this. If you had a, a family member, a loved one, or a really close friend, that they're going through a tough time. And I mean, you're just so close that their tough time hits you also. Like you didn't have a hard, you didn't have a part in that hard time they're, play, they're experiencing. You didn't have a part in what brought them that hard time, but you are being impacted by it. See what I'm saying? So that's a, a blow from the outside. Uh, so anything that comes that we don't really necessarily have our hands on and we can't necessarily uh, control and it's just kind of come our way, life happens, right? And that's what the Bible says. If any is afflicted, let him pray. Now you say, well, I mean, yeah, but this affliction that I have is a financial issue, so it's just easier for me to go to my checkbook and write a check. Or, or this, uh, this, uh, this situation is just a, a situation that it's kind of come up out of nowhere, but it's, it's relational. So it's just easier for me to go and, and work with that person one-on-one -on -one and try to figure it out ourselves. That's not what the Bible says we ought to do. If there's an affliction, the Bible says, first, we ought to pray. And here's the reason why I believe that's true, my friends, because sometimes there are afflictions that are so great, we can't do anything about them. We couldn't write a check big enough. We couldn't work our... our, our powers of motivational speaking to, to write that friendship. There's nothing we could do. We need God. And that's just the truth. And that's why he says pray. But here's another reason why I think it's important that in everything, that before we make a decision, we pray. Because when I was a kid growing up, especially as a teenager, man, I'll share this with you. You'll say, Pastor, you were just mean. You, were, you, were, you, were, you did not care for your brother uh, by doing this. When, I, we were, when we were growing up, when I was a teenager, almost, almost daily, uh, my mom would make us a frozen pizza for lunch, all right? My brother's five years younger than me. And she'd cut it into eight slices, and she'd put like three on my plate and two on his to begin with. And I would eat those three pieces of pizza as quickly as I possibly can to get the seconds so that I could make sure that I got all of the pieces of pizza that were left before my brother could. And I would almost eat, I mean, a lot, minus the two pieces that my brother got, I would eat the rest of the pizza myself as quickly as I possibly can. As a growing boy, teenage boy, man, that's just how it was. So if I went, if I went to the refrigerator to get in there and I, needed some, and I wanted something to eat, I'd reach in there and there would be food and I'd get it and I'd enjoy it. 
If I wanted a snack from the cupboard, I'd open up the, pantry, the little cupboard door there. They didn't have a pantry. Our house is pretty small. Uh, but uh, we had a little cupboard door, and I'd reach in, and I'd get, there would be food there, and I would get it. My friends, there was food there not because I went to the store. I didn't go to the store and buy it. There was food there not because I had went to work to pay for that food. There was food there that I got to enjoy because my parents provided and took care of their responsibility for the whole family. My dad went to work to make the money to buy the groceries, and my mom went to the grocery store on a weekly basis to make sure that there was food in the refrigerator and the cupboards so that when my growing teenage boy self wanted something to eat, I'd open it up and it was there. I'm saying there was not food there because of anything I did, but there was food available because of what my parents did. When I was going to college, I'm 18, and I'm about to be heading off to college, and I'm sitting in that kitchen. There's a lot of things that happened in the kitchen growing up, but uh, I was sitting in the kitchen with my dad, and I was discussing going off to college, and I, I was torn. I was like, man, I, this, is, this is a big step. Do I want to go? Do I not want to go? Should I, should I go? Should I stay? And I literally asked my dad that question, should I go or should I stay? And I wanted him to do just like he did when it came to making money for the, the food to just take care of it and make the decision for me. I wanted him to do just like my mom did when she went to the grocery store and pick out what to buy for us and make the decision for me. But my dad knew that I was growing from a child to an adult, and now I needed some responsibility. And he looked at me and said, son, I'm not going to tell you what to do. No, dad, that's not what I want. I want you to tell me what to do because this is how I, what I'm used to. Because when I don't have the responsibility on my shoulders, it's a lot easier smooth sailing. We say, preacher, why are you telling me that story? The reason I'm telling you that story is because when you face an affliction, an, a, a, an evil blow from the outside world, something you didn't have your hands on, something that you couldn't control, when you face an affliction, regardless of what it is, and you take it to the Lord, and you respond how He leads you to respond, the responsibility rests on His shoulders then at that point. It's like the child who just gets to sit back and ride along. When I got in the car for family vacation, I didn't have a choice on where we were going. Sunday morning, I didn't have a choice on whether or not we were going to church or not. I was put in the car, and they drug me to church. That's why I tell people all the time I had a drug problem as a child, because they drug me to church every time the doors were open, right? What I'm saying is, I didn't have a choice. The responsibility didn't lay on me. It laid on my parents, and it made for an easy life. When we face afflictions, we take it to the Lord. We respond and we're obedient to Him, how He leads us. The responsibility is off my shoulders now, and it leads to an easier, restful life. The question is, is there afflictions? Obviously, in our world today, there are. What is our response to that? Let Him pray. We see not only prayers in affliction, but we see also prayers in ador of adoration. The second part of verse number 13, it says, Is any merry? Now, that, that simply means being of a good mind and attitude, dealing with the joy that one possesses within. And he says, if you're merry, then the, a similar response. Let them sing psalms. And those psalms would be songs of praise unto the Lord. It's interesting to me that in the very same verse, one verse, verse number 13, you have an individual who is being afflicted, and you have an individual who is joyful. And James says that both responses ought to be, give it to the Lord. 
When, my pay, when I'm fa- facing uh, affliction, give it to the Lord. When I'm facing a joyful, jubilant, man, everything's smooth sailing time, give it to the Lord because he's the, the author behind it. And we find here that that prayer and our prayer life is important as well. It also is interesting the fact that it's in the same verse. So I believe that means that's the same, it's within the same thought that ought to teach us this, my friends, that regardless of what place we find ourselves in, we can still always go to the Lord. We also not only see the prayer of affliction and prayers of adoration, but thirdly, in these verses, verse 14 and 15, we see prayers of intercession. Now, this is where James starts to get involved with not just the individual praying, but others praying on the behalf of others as well. And in verse number 14, we find an appeal here. He says, is any sick among you? And well, then here's the response. Let him call for the elders of the church. The idea of being sick has the idea of being without strength or weak in the body. And so these individuals were, they were weak, they, were, they did not have strength, and, and uh, they're told to call for the elders, the leadership of the church, so that they might come and pray alongside of them. Now, let me ask you a question. Would a, would a weakness, would a lack of strength or sickness, would that be an affliction, yes or no? Absolutely. So what is that one supposed to do first? Pray. I mean, we, we already discussed that. But there's nothing wrong after you've done that to get others involved in praying for you as well. And here's where part of the role of the pastor comes into play, that when that is the case, they are to call for the pastor or the leaders of the church to pray over them and ask them to pray for them. And a prayer of faith we read there in verse number 15 as well. Now, one thing, my friends, listen, I, 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 don't, don't take what I'm about to say wrong either, but notice that James places the responsibility for the prayer on the shoulders of the one who's sick, all right? It says, if there is one sick, they are to call for the elder or the pastor to come and pray for them. Now, as your pastor, my friends, on a weekly basis, I'm praying for our church family. However, though, sometimes things happen where I don't always know about it. And if you need prayer about that, how can I pray for you unless you ask me? Or if it would be a, a extra blessing to you, if I were to come to your house or we were to meet in my office or whatever, and we were to pray together specifically for a specific need, how can I know to do that, that you need that, that it would be an extra blessing to you unless you ask? And James says here that if there is any sick, let him call for the elders. Now, that's not an excuse to make sure that the pastor doesn't have to pray, but I do believe that it shows an element of faith in the one who's asking for the prayer. Brother Robert here, if, if I heard some news that he uh, was sick or had a, a situation in his life that he was about to face, and I knew that it was going on, and I came over to him and I said, Brother Robert, let me pray for you. And I pr- start praying and asking the Lord to intervene in that situation and to help. That's wonderful. It's probably going to encourage him to an extent, but that doesn't mean that he believes that God's going to answer it. But the fact that he's asking for prayer, I believe, shows an element of faith that God could answer and that God would intervene in his will to accomplish his work through it. 
And so the reason why James says, hey, get to asking if you, if you need it, because it is a step of faith, if you may. And notice in verse number, 14, uh, verse number 15, and the prayer of faith. James has already said that uh, if we're going to pray, let us pray in faith believing that God will answer our prayers as well. And so we see here the appeal, but also notice the anointing in verse number 14. Let them pray, uh, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, there's a, there's a lot of confusion about these, this, this verse here, about the oil and all of that and anointings and such. There's two specific anointings in the Bible. I'm going to go quickly through this here this morning because I know what time it is, but there's two types of anointing. The first is a sacred anointing of the Holy Spirit. We read this in like Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18 and 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 21. The other one is a physical anointing, a physical act. For instance, like uh, Mary came in John chapter 12 and verse number 3 and she broke the alabaster box of a bike nerd and, and put that anointment over Jesus. There was nothing spiritual or divine or, or, uh, or sacred in that. It was just a physical act that she was doing. This word, anoint with oil, these words anoint with oil here in James, has to do with that physical act as well. Now, my friends, the oil has no special power. But I believe, and to an extent as well, the actions is an outward manifestation of the faith within as well. I've had the opportunity where people have come to me and asked, Pastor, would you please pray for me and uh, anoint me with oil? And, and we met in my office, and, and uh, me and a couple of the deacons, we prayed over that individual and asked the Lord to, to work and to, to answer our request according to His will, according to His will. Because, my friends, that's the important part of it, because we see the authority in this as well in verse number 15. It says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the who? Lord shall raise him up. See, the person that's praying has no power. The oil has no power. But God does. And we come to him in faith believing. Now, if I, come, if, if I don't have faith, one of two things are going to happen. One, I won't pray. Or two, I'll pray selfishly. You hear what I'm saying this morning? I'll pray selfishly. If I pray for somebody who's sick or, or I pray for a situation, I pray for my finances or whatever, and if I'm not actually praying in faith, I'm gonna, I, I either won't pray or I'll, say, I'll pray, God, this financial situation is overwhelming. When I open my bank account next uh, tomorrow morning, will you please ha make sure that I have a million dollars in there? <laughs> now, I'm sure that the financial situation you're in is not a million dollars worth. So the fact that you're asking for that is a selfish thing. That's not asking in faith. They're not asking at all is not faith either. He says that it's the prayer of faith that gets a hold of God. And we have to understand that, that these are all manifestations of the faith that is within as well. Now this morning we've seen, number one, the, uh, the instruction in prayer. But number two this morning, also notice with me the uh, investment in prayer. In verse number 16, James begins to deal with how we are involved in this. In verse number 16, at the first part, he says this, confess your faults one to another. Now, again, that's another verse that seems to have caused some confusion and problems. It has 
led people to believe that a confessional booth is necessary. But in order to understand this, we need to have a proper understanding of what that word confess means. So the word confess, it literally means to agree with someone else in the innermost recesses of one's soul and to speak out publicly about it. All right, I'm going to say it again. That word confess literally means to agree with someone else in the innermost recesses of one's soul and to speak out publicly about it. When he says to confess your faults one to another, um, if someone is sick, that would be a fault in their life. And the fact that they are sick and absolutely desperately need the Lord's intervention uh, is something that they have to understand and reach out in faith. And the one praying with them needs to understand the, 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 how crucial it is and reach out in faith unto the Lord. It could be a, it could be a situation where one is you know, dealing with a sin that's holding them back and they're struggling with it and they come to a stronger uh, brother or sister in Christ or to their pastor and they say, uh, you know what, I am struggling in this situation, not for gossip's sake to be, to be spread, but I need help. I need prayer. I pray and asking the Lord to help me through this, but I, I need to know others are praying with me as well. And so they come to you and then you agree with them at the deepest, most possible level that yes, that is sin. And yes, the only way to conquer it is through the yielding, to the yielding of the Spirit. And so that both of you out loud you, or agree that this is necessary and that the Lord is necessary to accomplish it. And then that we see a cooperation in verse number 16 as well, because it says, uh, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. One of the greatest benefits, my friends, of being a part of a church, we're talking about the church, one of the greatest benefits of being a part of the church is knowing that you have others that love and care for you and have the same spiritual mindset as you. I can promise you this, that you, there's many in here that probably have family that you're close to, and they truly do love you, but they don't believe like you do. And if you went to them with a problem or a sickness or a sin problem and said, would you please pray for me? They'd laugh at you because they don't believe the same way you do. So where are you going to get that spiritual encouragement out at? By gathering where other believers gather to worship the Lord. My friends, when you're facing a most difficult time, that is when we need each other the most. And we can, we can pray for one another, and we can, and we can be there to, to help one another. And, and my friends, Mrs. Matchett, she just shared in Sunday school. She, we have been praying and praying and praying for her brother, for an infection that he's had and everything. She just shared that the Lord heard our prayer. And they went in, they'd test that infection is gone. They're not going to have to do any type of uh, the surgery that would have been that invasive surgery that they were going to uh, said that they were going to do. He was able to get up and walk without a wheelchair recently. My friends, I, we didn't heal him, but the Lord did, and the Lord heard heard our prayers, and that's what we we can we we can be assured of in knowing that the Lord hears and answers our prayers. But notice this, the, the commitment in this prayer as well at the latter part of verse number 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. As I close here this morning, thirdly, notice the influence of prayer. Verses 17 and 18 says this, he uses an illustration 
of an Old Testament saint here. He says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. There's two things in these verses, I believe, that really influence our prayer life. One is our frailty. Because look what he said here in verse number 17, that Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. A lot of times we think of prophets like Elijah and Elisha. We think of prophets like Daniel, right? We think of them guys as like superhuman, like supernatural. Man, they pray. I mean, Elijah prayed, right? And rain didn't come for three years. Who here is going to do? Can I tell you something? I'll be honest. Last week, if you were here last week, you know how windy it was. I prayed and asked God, stop the, stop the wind. I, I said, God, please stop the wind. Did he stop the wind? No. He had a purpose for it. I don't know what it was, but he had a purpose for it. He didn't stop the wind. But Elijah, he prayed and said, no rain. And no rain for three years. Wow. Daniel, he's, he's prophesying about the Lord in Babylon. Because he prays. He's just being faithful to God. He gets thrown in this den of lions. He prays and says, God, protect me. And God closes the lion's mouth all night long. And he's like, man, what in the world? That's awesome. These guys are superhuman. No. Bible says they are men subject to like passions as we are. And our frailty impacts our prayer life. It impacts it in two ways. One, sometimes it causes us not to pray. We just, we feel so weak. We sometimes can feel so unworthy. We can feel like there's no use, and we just don't do it at all. But our frailty, my friends, is the exact reason why we need to pray. Because when I am weak, Paul said, he is made strong. I need the Lord every day because I am human. But also our faith impacts our prayer life because it says that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And God answered that with a fulfillment of not bringing rain for that time. Now, my friends, we saw in verse number 15 that our prayer is a prayer of, ought to be a prayer of faith. We, say, we see that it ought to be continual and fervent. In verse number 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We find in verse number 17 that it's, it ought to be earnest because he prayed earnestly. My friends, all I'm saying here this morning is God is such a good God that he is willing to hear from you and me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a gift that I get as your pastor to be able to pray to him. But it's also a gift that you get as a believer as well. If you ever remember watching the old Batman shows, you know, the pow, cool, you know. Commissioner Gordon or whatever had that red phone, remember? It's not like God has some red phone that only pastors can call. Any believer can call upon the Lord. Any believer can come boldly. And in fact, that's what James says we ought to do. Are you afflicted? then pray. But as you're afflicted and you're praying in faith, invite others along the way as well. And that's where I can come in at times. As your pastor, I can come alongside of you and 
pray with you. And other brothers and sisters in Christ can come alongside of you and pray with you. But when we pray, it is not the words, it is not the form or the fashion, it is not where we do it. It is the fact that we in faith believe that God can. And when we pray that way, my friends, we can expect Him to answer. But I think oftentimes our prayers aren't always in faith. And when our prayers aren't in faith, they are oftentimes selfish. For instance, if we had someone who was a, had a terminal illness, and we hit our knees and we pray, Lord, please remove this illness from them. Please heal them. And then that individual dies. We think, God, why didn't you answer? Maybe he did. The, the, the request was heal them. And if they're a believer and they die, they're in heaven now. No more pain. No more sorrow. And at the risk of sounding selfish, or not selfish, but uh, uncaring or hard-hearted, my friends, what a better healing can one get? Sometimes when we pray, God will answer in that way. But what we've got to understand is, God, your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts are not my thoughts. And yours are better than mine. And you've given me a great gift to be able to come to you and pray. And I just trust and believe that when I pray to you, you're going to answer. And your will is going to be great. I share this this morning, even though I didn't want to. I wanted to get on the deacons a little bit. I share it this morning because I pray that our church will be a church of prayer. If there's any aspect of my role as pastor that the Lord has really been dealing with me about here recently is prayer. So I'm asking you to pray with me that I would be the man of prayer I ought to be. And I want to pray alongside of you as we pray and ask that the Lord accomplishes His will. His will in our lives and through our church. Can I invite you to stand with me here this morning before we dismiss? you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes out of respect of others here this morning, I'm going to ask three simple questions before we pray. First question is going to be simply this. How many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure that heaven is my home, and I know that if I die today, that I would spend eternity with Jesus forever. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across this auditorium. Praise God for that. I'm glad to know that I'm in the presence of other believers. But if you're here this morning and you weren't able to raise your hand just now, I, I do pray that just the fact that God hears us, that goodness, the goodness of God that draws men to repentance, the Bible says, and the goodness and the fact that He'll hear us, I pray that it would, rec it would help you recognize your need of Him, that the Holy Spirit would start working in your heart in a way that only He can and say, you know what, you need me, you need a Savior. And if you're here this morning, I can't pray you into heaven or anything like that, but I can pray and ask that the Lord would continue to work on your heart so you might be able to trust Him. And if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I just do not know for sure that heaven is my home. I do not know that I would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus if I died today. Could I just simply pray for you? If you just slip your hand up and right back down quickly, Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Just pray for me, Pastor, please. And one last question. 
How many here would say, Pastor, you know what? I know all that's settled. Salvation is settled. I know that my home, heaven is my home. But Pastor, uh, please pray for me. That one, I'd pray in faith. Or two, Pastor, I just ain't praying at all. Afflictions are coming my way, and I'm just trying to figure it out on the fly. Pastor, pray with me that I would just give it to the Lord. That'd be my first response. And then when I do pray, that I pray in faith. And I'm also asking that you'd pray alongside me here today. That the Lord would make me the, the man of prayer that I ought to be as your pastor. In any of those ways, if you say, Preacher, the Lord spoke to my heart in one of those three areas. Could you slip your hand up and right back down? I'd like to pray with you about that. Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. Then the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord spoke into your heart, you can right there in your seat, call out to him, or maybe right down here at the altar at the front, if you'd come down and uh, just uh, kneel and pray unto the Lord and give him your request. If you're here today, there's a specific situation, a specific circumstance, a specific trial, a specific health need. You see, preacher, I've been praying about this. But preacher, would you pray for me about this? If that's you here today, I'm going to invite you even to come right now and get my attention, and I'd like to take some time and pray with you as well today. However the Lord spoke into your heart, I hope that you'll respond accordingly. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, your love, your goodness, the fact that you love us enough to communicate with us. God, I ask now that you'd help, uh, help us to turn first to you, that we pray in faith, believing that you can. And that in faith, we just trust your answer. That it be the best. More than what we could ever ask or think. God, we praise you and thank you for your love. And how you continue to work in our lives. We ask that you have your will and your way in this invitation. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play. Lord, spoken your heart, maybe right there in your seat, or if you'd like to come here to the altar, if you'd like to uh, have me 